Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to us now so that we may rejoice in your word as one who rejoices in great riches. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, this morning we are looking at Isaiah chapter 9, which is a passage that's very familiar to us if we know the Christmas message. Uh, It is one that prophesies of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming, and we see that in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Christmas time, we're very conscious of this child who was born so many years ago, and we looked at that in the passage from Luke's Gospel, uh, this little baby in the manger. But why is he such a gift? Why is he so precious to us? Why, 2,000 years later, are we celebrating the birth of a little boy so many years ago? Well, it's because he would be our governor. We see this in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He would be a governor. Now, what sort of governor would the Lord Jesus be? What sort of governor is he even now today? Well, he is one who promotes peace. He is one who promotes peace. We see this in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He is one who brings peace to the world. And we see that in the New Testament as well, that it is proclaimed that peace comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. And he also is one who administers justice. How does he bring about his peace? Well, it's by administering justice. Verse 7 says, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He is one who brings justice, peace and justice. He will judge justly and righteously over mankind. And this is good news. This is good news. This is the gospel message. Because we want a government that is peaceful, that brings peace and that brings justice. This is what we crave. The Israelites craved it so many years ago. They wanted a government. They wanted a governor who would bring peace and justice. And even in this passage in Isaiah 9, we see the terrible state that the Israelites were in. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 9 says that there are people who live in gloom. We see in verse 1 of chapter 9, nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. There are people who lived in gloom, there are people who lived in distress, and there are people who were humbled. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. We see that the Israelites were a people who were living in gloom, and it continues uh, in verse 2 to describe what it was like to live in Israel at that time, the people walking in darkness. Walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. There were people who lived in what is described as a shadow of death or in darkness. And why was this? Well, because they knew unjust governments. They knew injustice from their own kings, but also from the kings of other nations. And we see that in verse 4. Verse 4, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. It speaks about this yoke that they were used to having on their shoulders. A yoke, of course, is the the bar that they would put between animals so that they would uh, go in the direction that was wanted by the farmer as they ploughed the fields. They were described as having a yoke that was a burden to them. They had a bar across their shoulders, it says there in verse 4, and they had a rod of an oppressor. And so the Israelites wanted to have a governor who would reign with peace, and justice. 
And that is the case for us today as well, isn't it? We want a government that brings peace and justice. Why? What are the reasons? Well, don't we feel like we are in a world of gloom and distress and that we have been humbled? And often it is because of the decisions of our government, just as the Israelites were living in gloom and distress and humbled so many years ago because of their government. Do we not feel the same today? Don't we often feel that we walk in darkness and in the shadow of death because of the decisions of the governments of this world? And don't we feel that we're under a burdensome yoke, a bar, a rod from an oppressor because of our governments? I'm not just speaking about here in Australia, but all around the world as we look at other governments. Do you not see that humankind is under the rod of an oppressor? And don't we see that our earthly governments do not bring peace? They do not bring peace. Don't our politicians love to fight? Love to fight with one another. All you've got to do is watch Question Time in Parliament. You can see the fighting that goes on. They love to fight with one another in the press. They will say things to one reporter and then it gets reported back, of course, in the newspaper and then another politician will come out in response. They fight back and forth. They do not live peaceful lives. And, of course, they fight with their own people. How many governments have fought with their people with rubber bullets and pepper spray and even with live bullets in parts of the world? They fight with their own citizens. And don't politicians love to fight with other nations through economic trade and even by going to war? And don't our earthly governments often act unjustly? They love to fight. They do not love peace, as this governor, who's described in Isaiah 9, brings peace, but they also often act unjustly. With the guilty, don't they often overpunish? They're too severe with those who are guilty. And they also can be under. They, they are too lenient with the guilty. They can underpunish those who are guilty. And when it comes to the innocent, don't our governments sometimes imprison those who are innocent? They fine those who are innocent. And even they administer injustice by the way that they fund. They, the funding that they release, you can see they go after some electorates and not others. Isn't that injustice? They give to this group of people or this organisation, this person. There's injustice all around us because of our governments. But it's not just in our government. When we think of the government here being upon the shoulders of the Lord Jesus, we think of it going all over the earth. And when we think of dominion, it's not just from our, our politicians and our police force, which enforce the laws of our politician. We see that government is in every part of society and we crave a peaceful and just government in every level of society. We think of the workplace. Don't we want peace and justice in the workplace? Because don't fights often occur in the workplace between employers and employees, some workplaces can be toxic environments because of the decisions of managers, because of the decisions of employers towards employees. And there can be fighting going on there. And is an injustice in the workplace as well, where those who are hardworking are overlooked and those who are lazy seem to get promoted. And so there's injustice in the workplace that we crave that there'd be proper government in our work environments. And don't we also crave a peaceful and just government even within our churches? Aren't church leaders known to fight with each other? If you've been in churches for any length of time, 
you will have heard, not necessarily your church, but at other churches, that leaders fight with one another, fight with the people that they're governing, and they fight even with other church leaders. Churches have falling outs with other churches. And our church leaders often unjust. They let the guilty go undisciplined, have their favourites in the church, and so their favourites aren't rebuked, their favourites aren't put under church discipline, but the innocent, they're the ones who are disciplined, that people can be punished by church leaders in some way, because even though they have done nothing wrong. So we crave just government, peaceful government, highest levels of society, but also in the workplace, in the church, and even down to the family. And that is the real little building block of society. There's little governments in every home. And don't we crave peace and just government in the family? Why? Because spouses fight with spouses, don't they? And parents fight with their children, even their adult children. They can have fights with them. And families can fight with other families. Some people are invited for Christmas Day, other people are not. And there seems to be an injustice. Mum has her favourites. And there's injustice within the family. And children will point this out so easily. Isn't one of the claims of a child so often heard? If you've got children, you will have heard this. And if you were a child, you would have said it. It's not fair. It's not fair. Children are very much aware of justice and particularly the injustice of parents. And yet children are often unfair to their younger siblings, people that they have some government over simply by their age and their power, their strength. They are frequently unjust. An older brother will snatch something from a younger brother and it's not fair but he can do it simply because of his superior strength. But then we may say, well, why, can't, why do we need a governor to be given us? Why do we need a child to be born to us, a son to be given to us, and the government to be on his shoulders? Why can't one of us stand up and be the governor in the world and bring peace and justice? Well, it's too hard. It's too hard. There are too many people in the world. Can you imagine electing one supreme leader of the entire world? What an impossible task to do so, to look amongst mankind and say, you could govern everybody. It is too hard. There are too many people with too many needs. A government is meant to provide for the needs of the people. And people's needs physically are so demanding, from just the physical need to eat every day to the need for proper health care. It is too great. And of course, why is it so hard for anyone to govern? It's because injustice is everywhere. Sin is everywhere. Fights and injustice seep through all levels of society, as I've chronicled even for you now. It is too hard to administer justice over so many people, all of mankind, who continue to sin against one another. And of course, we recognise that sin is in the hearts of all of us, that none of us are exempt. None of us can claim that we will administer a government with perfect justice, with perfect justice, because we recognise that we will make mistakes as well. And so this is what we crave. We crave a child to be born, a son to be given to us, whose the government will be on his shoulders and he will reign with peace 
and justice, perfect justice. But how can he do it? How can this child do what no one else can do? Well, the text actually tells us. Verse, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This child is unlike any other child born. He is God himself. Which means what? It means he has all power. He has all power to govern. He can lift up all people onto his shoulders. He can lift them up with all their needs. And his shoulders will not buckle. His shoulders will not buckle under the weight that has crumpled many, many people who went before him. Even as they tried to govern a small portion of mankind. He can lift up them and their needs upon his shoulders because he has that power and he can govern with justice because he is the one who is holy 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 he is the one who is perfectly righteous so of course he can govern with justice he is the wonderful counselor he knows what to do in each and every situation right decisions are always made by him as he governs people on his shoulders, as he lifts them up and puts them on his shoulders. And so one day Jesus will establish his justice on that judgment day that is to come with all power and all holiness. Jude chapter 1, uh, Jude 1, well, there's only one chapter in Jude, but verse 14 and verse 15 say, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There is a day coming where the Lord Jesus will judge everyone for all the ungodly acts that they have done including the ungodly words that they have spoken against him. But if that is true, does that not mean that Jesus is simply going to be a governor of a very, 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 very large prison? If he is coming to administer perfect justice and all mankind has sinned against God and sinned against one another, then aren't we the ones described in Jude? Aren't we all ungodly and so deserve conviction for all the ungodly acts we have done in the ungodly way and all the harsh words that we have spoken against God? Well, yes, we do deserve, we all deserve to have Jesus to simply be the governor of our prison. But what else did Jesus do when he took the government on his shoulders? Well, he took upon his shoulders his people and their sins. He took on their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. Jesus took on his shoulders a life of pain and suffering that we deserve for our sin. How did he do that? Well, it starts with that baby in the manger, lying with his shoulders in a wooden manger. Not a place you put your child, except in desperate circumstances. You see the life of suffering that he began there as he took upon his shoulders the pain that we deserve. And then it goes right through to the crucifixion, where wood was fastened to his limbs to his, and weighed down upon his shoulders. We even see that he carried his own cross in the New Testament. John chapter 19, verse 17, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. 
And there, as Jesus took the government of his people on his shoulders, there at the cross, he bore the wrath of God upon his shoulders. Even though he had never sinned against God, he never committed an ungodly act in an ungodly way or committed, uh, spoken ungodly words against his God, he nonetheless was governed by God at the cross. Like Israel, Jesus was made to live in gloom and distress at the cross. He was made to be in darkness there at the cross, to live in the shadow of death and then to experience death itself. God placed on Jesus a burdensome yoke, a bar across his shoulders, an oppressor's rod. Those things that are described in verses 1 and 2 and 4, describing Israel, and that we have known ourselves as we feel the effects of sin and God's justice administered in this world. They were put upon the Lord Jesus as he willingly took them on his shoulders. Why would he do that? Well, like a master taking responsibility for his servant's mistake or a king taking responsibility for the mistakes of his citizen, this is what the Lord Jesus was doing. By taking the government of his people on his shoulders, he also took upon his shoulders their sin. And so the Lord Jesus is the perfect governor to shoulder the government of all mankind. He has the power to do so as a mighty God. He has the righteousness as a holy, holy, holy God. And he also has perfect grace, mercy and love to administer peace to his people. But that means that Christ's justice, Christ's justice looks different for you based on your relation to Jesus, how you relate to Jesus. What do I mean? Well, of course, all mankind is under the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Who's the us? Well, in one sense, it's the people of God, but we do know that his justice is throughout all the world. He will be governor of all for all of eternity. Some people like to say about the government that they have, he's not my president, not my prime minister, not my premier. I voted for somebody else. He's not mine. Well, what are they doing? They're denying reality. Reality is he is your president. He is your prime minister. He is your premier. As much as you may not like him and the decisions that he makes or she makes, you're denying reality by saying that. And you can't do that with the Lord Jesus Christ either. Jesus will govern everyone in every situation for all time. Why? Because the word of God tells us. What does it say in verse 7? Verse 7 of Isaiah 9, look with me now. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Yes, he governs his people, but he also governs all mankind, and it will be for all of eternity. Why? Well, he will never be removed as governor. There will never be a superior governor who takes over by a military coup. He won't be voted out because of corruption or error, or simply people don't like him anymore. He won't resign from fatigue, and he won't die in office. He has died once, never to die again. And why is this possible? 
Well, we see at the end of verse 7 why. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God Almighty will make sure that the Lord Jesus governs for all of eternity, all of mankind. So then it matters how we relate to Jesus. What do I mean? Do we see Jesus as friend or foe? Do we see Jesus as friend or foe? Why? Well, if you remain an enemy of Christ Jesus and reject him as your governor, you will try to reject him as your governor, what will happen? Well, Christ's government will be a rod upon your shoulders that will keep you in the prison known as hell for all of eternity. If you reject him, he will be a governor of your prison cell for all of eternity. But if you receive him as your governor, what happens? Well... Jesus shoulders the burden for you. He takes your sin and the punishment that you deserve for all of eternity for your sin upon his shoulders, which means what? A life of increasing peace and justice and joy in this life. In 2022, going into 2022, you may have felt that 2021 was a a year of gloom and darkness and walking in the shadow of death, But if you have Jesus as your governor, then you will know that everything will be okay. That even the injustice that is prevailing in this world, in some way God will overrule it through Jesus Christ as governor of all things. And everything will be okay. And of course, you will not just have peace and justice in this world. A peace and a justice within, but you will also have peace and justice for all of eternity. For all of eternity, what is described in chapter 9, verse 1 through to verse 5 will be a description of you for all of eternity. Chapter 9, verse 1, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are once in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. We'll be honoured. And then it continues in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. That is speaking about now, but then through all of eternity we'll continue to walk in that light. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoicing when dividing the plunder. There is increasing joy in this world, but then, of course, the joy continues through all of eternity. Verse 4, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. All injustice that we feel now will be broken and taken away. And all our sin and its punishment will be destroyed as well. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. There'll be no more fighting for all of eternity in heaven. There'll be no more wars Rumours of wars, because every warrior's garments, his weapons will have been destroyed and there'll be no more need for them. And so we will have that joy on Judgment Day and then all through eternity. 
And this is described for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Turn with me now, page 1173, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1172, actually, 1172, if you've got a black church Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'll read from verse 6, where it speaks so powerfully about what is to come. Verse 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. So Jesus is the governor. Jesus is the governor. And he'll either be putting your, his foot on your neck for all of eternity or he's taking your sins on his neck. Which will it be? Will Jesus be your governor in paradise, in heaven? Or will he be your prison governor? Don't have Jesus as your prison governor. Don't have him as your prisoner governor, prison governor for all of eternity. Trust in Jesus as your royal friend. You won't find another governor like the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for his people. Which prime minister, which president, which premier is willing to lay down his life for his people. The Lord Jesus is the only one who laid down his life and took the punishment that we deserve. Have Jesus as your royal friend. And let us all learn then to sing Fullerton's hymn with joy. We sing about our saviour, our governor who has saved us from our sins. We're about to sing this hymn in a moment. It's the third uh, hymn this morning, I Cannot Tell, which is printed in your bulletins there. Look with me at the first verse. If you've got a bulletin handy, uh, open it up. I cannot tell, verse 1, I cannot tell why he whom angels worship should set his love upon the sons of men, or why a shepherd he should seek the wanderers to bring them back they know not how or when. When he says, I cannot tell, he's meaning I cannot tell how or why God has done something. And, of course, he affirms that God has done these things, that a shepherd has come to seek the wanderers, to bring them back. They know not how or when. But he also speaks about it, what he does know. But this I know, first verse, that he was born of Mary when Bethlehem's manger was his only home and that he lived at Nazareth and laboured. And so the Saviour, Saviour of the world is come. Our governor, governor of the world has come as our saviour, saviour, if you trust in him. And then verse 2, I cannot tell how silently he suffered, as with his peace he graced this place of tears, or how his heart upon the cross was broken, the crown of pain to three and thirty years. But this I know, 
He heals the brokenhearted and stays our sin and calms our lurking fear and lifts the burden from the heavy laden, for yet the Saviour, Saviour of the world is here. What wonderful words there at the end of verse 2. He's lifted the burden from the heavy laden. As governor, he took our sin upon his shoulders. As he took that cross to his shoulders, as he bore the wrath of God descending upon his shoulders, he has lifted the burden from the heavy laden. And so yet the saviour, saviour of the world is still here. He is still at work today. There are heavy laden people all around us and he continues to lift their burdens and many of them are here in this church today. I am one of them. I'm one of those who... The Lord Jesus, in his mercy and grace, lifted the burden from myself, a heavy laden one. And if you have had that burden lifted, of course you rejoice in what he has done. And if you have not had that burden lifted, come to him now. Ask him to lift your burden. Don't reject him as your governor. Accept him as your governor. Don't say, not my governor. Accept him as your governor, as your friend, your royal friend, who lifts your burdens and brings perfect peace and justice. Let's pray to him now, and then we can sing this hymn together. Lord Jesus, we praise you as a God of power, of justice and mercy. We thank you that that Christmas time so many years ago that to us a child was born, a son was given, and the government is eternally on your shoulders. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us again for our hostility towards you in the past and help us to trust that you have put us, including our sins, all our sins, upon your shoulders so that we do not need to bear them any longer, but they have been born for us. And so we can enjoy peace and justice for all of eternity in paradise. Lord, we ask that you would give us joy as we experience the peace that comes even now to us, but we would continue to rejoice over the peace that is to come and the justice that is to be administered in heaven for all of eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.